Okay. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that it's exciting to watch you work. It's exciting to see what you do. And it's just so wonderful to be able to trust you in it, Lord, and to know that, you know, whatever happens, you're in this and you will, um, you will lead us forward. And thank you, Father, for the way that it took probably two or three days last week to get my head around or get our heads around the fact that this was you and that it wasn't just a distraction and it wasn't, Lord... You just are amazing, and the way that you build our faith and um, strengthen us, and it's just wonderful, Lord. So we thank you for it. I thank you for um, the way that you are working through uh, all of us to lift up the name of Jesus and his word in this place. And I ask you, Lord, to continue to do that for your glory, Father, and to really be speaking to each one of us as we go forward in this as to how we can do our part. What, yes. what is our place? What can we do in, um, yes, in this ministry and, uh, yeah, in this place for you, Lord God? And so I thank you for what you will do. I praise you because... Oh, because you're just opening our eyes to the wonder and the, the breadth and the length of your work, Lord yes, God. It's Lord. just incredible. And so um, I thank you for it. And I ask you now, Lord God, to keep my mind <laughs> on um, Resurrection Life yes, and uh, all of us. Bring us back into the room, Lord God, and, um, and help us to understand what you would have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, I don't know if I said this last time, you know, my daughter said something the other day about being where your feet are. <laughs> she just, you know, it was a saying, you, you know, try to be where your feet are. And I, th I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, just try to be where your feet are. Try to be where you are. Like thinking about where you are rather than where you might be, yes. you know. Yes. And uh, I, I just, I really like that saying i'd never heard it before be where your feet are and i just so we're all going to be where our feet are today <laughs> okay first corinthians chapter 2 um <coughs> 1 to 16 um i think if you don't mind we're going to try a new thing today um with the reading uh, i'm going to read one verse and you're all going to read the next one so together we're going to read so i'll read the first verse you read the second i'll read the third on and on it goes. It helps if we've got all the same <laughs> translation, but uh, nonetheless, no matter what your translation is, you read, I'll read verse 1, you read verse 2, and so on to verse 16. So, we'll begin. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in the words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you. Okay. The cross of Jesus Christ, um, this is what Paul has been uh, concentrating on leading them to. Um, he started in chapter 1 and he's continuing into chapter 2 and he'll take the thought into chapter 3 and chapter 4, which is where uh, you were last week. But the... Um, and what he wants to tell them is that the cross is not simply something that happened in your past that justified you, that you came to the cross, you believed in the Lord Jesus, you received justification. It is the cross will have its effect in your life in every way continuously. It will never stop having effect <coughs> and it will never stop being the place of refuge and the strength and the strong tower and everything that you need is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to know because why would Paul be preaching only Christ crucified? Why would he only preach that? He knew so much. He'd spent, um, he went, it was caught up to the third heaven, he says in 2 Corinthians. He, he'll tell them, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven and saw things too wonderful to talk about. So Christ had an experience. I mean, Paul <coughs> had an experience with Christ that was we would not probably never have. No one else has ever had. And he could have talked about all of that. But what he's saying to them is, I came only with the cross to you. I came and preached Christ and him crucified. And he wants to tell them that that doesn't stop. It doesn't end. And now they're, con they're being distracted in all these different ways. And he wants to bring them back to the cross because that's where your refuge is. That's where your inheritance is. That's where your wisdom is. That's where your sanctification is. It's all in Jesus and the cross and his cross. So this wisdom, the wisdom to understand that, he says, is not for immature believers. Immature believers cannot receive it. Natural man cannot receive it. You know, this is a growing understanding that brings you back. It's almost, can you see what I mean about, you know, when we talk about the perspective of God being the opposite of our perspective? Who would think that the more mature you get, the simpler faith becomes, or the simpler the foundation is. Who would think that the longer you walk with God and the longer you walk with Christ, the more you would understand that everything is about the cross? It's almost like that's the big, you would think that that's the beginning. The beginning is the cross, and right, there's going to be so much and so much and so much and so much. But what Paul is saying is, the beginning is the cross and your understanding of that as it grows is going to open up so much to you, but it will still all be 
about the cross of Jesus Christ. And, um, and that, that that understanding is, a, is evidence of your growing maturity. And so he knows, because there are all sorts of other places, they're going all around the place, they're arguing about this, they're arguing about that, they're doing all these things. He knows that um, they are immature. So um, he says the wisdom, the wisdom of God is not for immature believers, it's not for natural man. Tell me about the wisdom. In, verse, in chapter 2, this is just review really, so what is it about the wisdom? Yeah, wisdom, where does it come from? The wisdom comes from God and not from man. And what does the wisdom of God tell you? Tell the, um, tell the people of God. What does it tell you? Yeah, it's hidden. It's hidden wisdom, which means it was a mystery and the revelation of that mystery must come from God. Uh, what will the wisdom of God tell you about? Power of God, yeah. And in, in what way? Things which eyes not seen. Yeah, eyes not seen. Yeah, yeah. Look at the word he uses in verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So he's not talking about just an understanding of the words that you're reading now in here or that Paul might write to them in the letter. He's not, he's not really only talking about the understanding of your human life as it goes on now in Christ Jesus. He's talking about an understanding of the cosmic eternal purpose of God because he uses that word predestined, that God predestined before the ages. So he's trying to get us to see that there's something going on that's beyond our human understanding but that we will be able to understand at least that it exists as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we grow in our knowledge of Christ. This wisdom comes from God. It tells, uh, it tells, uh, talks to us more and more about the eternal purpose of God, the, the plan of God that he, he did before the word world began. It's uh, wisdom that was hidden and can only be revealed <coughs> by God. And then what else? Um, the fact that it's predestined, what do you know? What's the result of this, this plan in verse 7? What will be the result of it? Yeah, we do speak wisdom, uh, sorry, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. This hidden wisdom, this hidden plan of God that he predestined before the ages results not simply in his glory, but in our glory, in to our glory. Can you imagine that? That God had to reveal this to you and he revealed it to you and the more that you walk on in the understanding of it, it is leading you further and further and further into glory, into glory, into our glory. Now, what do you know if it's a predestined plan of God? What do you know about it? It's already been decided, and it's going to result in your glory. So what's already decided? Your glory. Your glory is already decided. You see, you, we often think, you know, you can think that God had to go around fixing things. So Adam and Eve believed the, believed the serpent, so he had to fix it and come <coughs> up with a plan. Or, um, 
you know, something happens in your life and so God's going to help you and he's going to fix it. So work it all together for your good. And we think about it as if God is always trying to fix things that we've done wrong. He's always trying to put things right that man has done wrong. But that's not true. The plan for your glory and for my glory was set before the, f- the world began. I mean, you know, your glory was predestined before the ages began, before, before time began. Just be That's what, when God did it. So you're not an afterthought. Everything in your life is not a hasty plan to get sorted. You know, it's not that you can mess up today. And, oh, no, she's messed up again, so oh, let me try and fix that now. It's just that the whole span of your life, your eternity, was set before God even made the world. And your glory is, is certain and sure. Um, so, could somebody read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7? Because I just want to... Um, show that this is not just in 1 Corinthians, this is also, Paul writes about it in other places, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. No, yeah, actually, let's think, where were we? um, Ephesians 1. Yeah, uh, no, I just need to find it, sorry. Um, uh, well, we'll read. I'll read all the way through from uh, verse th- three. Actually, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved God freely bestowed the glory of his grace on us in Christ Jesus to the pr- um, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind con- according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So can you see how Paul wraps God's glory and our glory and he wraps it all up and he puts it in Christ Jesus and then he puts us there too. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to understand that God did something before the foundation of the world and that something will result in glory. His glory, our glory, and all of it will be combined. We will be wrapped up in the glory of Jesus Christ. If we, uh, just, I won't read it now, but First Peter chapter 1 says, the same thing. Um, First Peter uh, talks about the blessing of God and what he's done and how it will. Uh, verse 8, 
And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. There, are, there is something going on that is filling you with the glory of God. Or with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Um, so the wisdom that Paul is talking about, this wisdom is a mystery. It's a hidden it's a, a, a hidden thing that God revealed to you. And, and why would God reveal this to you? Why would he reveal it to you? Why? Hope, hope. He reveals it for hope and... Because we are faithful in Christ Jesus. Yes. First one, yes. Yes, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. But, but why, why would he want you to understand this hidden mystery why would he want you to understand this wisdom why would he give it to you yeah 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 before this correct yes the correct use of knowledge exactly so that you can go on but what does it make you i mean really can you read ephesians 1 and first peter 1 and second corinthians chapter 1 and not want to raise your hands and say hallelujah it's like i'm headed for glory and that glory doesn't depend on me. Praise God. It doesn't depend on me. It depends only on God because he predestined it before the ages began. Ephesians says that. First Peter doesn't use that word, but he says the same thing, that we are headed for glory. Our inheritance, Peter will say, is imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. So there's this sense that this is something that only God has done. And he's telling us this. To give us the hope, as uh, Kate says, hope, to give us courage, to give us strength, to give us boldness, to make us so sure of who we are and who God is that we don't even have to think about it anymore. We can so trust him to go out in, in <coughs> that he will lead us into glory. Now, imagine, who's he writing <coughs> to? Who's Paul writing to? He's writing, yeah, and what are they doing? What's their life? What is their church like? Well, their little church is like, it's just all mess. You know, it's just they're all disruptive and quarreling and messing about and, you know, arguing. What do you think this sort of knowledge is designed to do? It's designed to bring you together. It's designed for you and I to say, look, we don't agree on everything, but that's okay. You like one teacher, I like another teacher. It doesn't matter. It only matters that we have understood that it's all about Christ. It's all about God. And that he is doing what he promises he is doing. And it takes us out of the picture. And it suddenly th makes me think, do you know what? It doesn't really matter if you're right and I'm wrong. Or I'm right and you're wrong. It doesn't matter. It only matters that I go on from here in the sure and certain knowledge that I am going, heading towards <coughs> glory and that he is going to work out his plan in and through me. He's telling them this stuff to get them to see, get your eyes out of who you are and who your teachers are, where this is and where that is, and get your eyes onto God, who is more glorious than you can even take in. Um, what were these Corinthians? What would you say if you had to, if you had to ex talk about these Corinthians? How would you describe them? At what level of their Christian life are they? Babies. babies. They're babies. They're just babies. 
And so he's coming to them and he's drawing them back to the cross because that's where their life began. Their life in Christ began at the cross and he keeps bringing them back there. But he wants to tell them, do you know what? This, that cross of Christ is taking you into something wonderful, wonderful. Don't mess around with the toys in the pram. You know, you're fiddling about with this and that. You know, people are demanding their rights, and and I'm I want to follow this. When you get to First Corinthians 12, you know they're all, you know, they're saying speaking in tongues is like the most important thing, and I speak in tongues all the time, and you don't, so you must be, you know, a nobody. It's like, or I can prophesy, and I get words of wisdom, and and you're all you're doing is whatever it is, you know. So I'm so much more important than you. And what he wants to do is say that's all the baby stuff. Speaking in tongues is baby stuff. If you speak in tongues, great. If you don't, great. It's baby toys. Get out of there and move on. And all the way through this letter, that's what he's going to be saying. He's going to be saying, put down the toys. Put down the toys. Stop arguing about things that don't matter. And get going with God into glory. They were so wrapped up in, in proving they were right, that they weren't, they, did, they weren't using the mind of Christ. Exactly, that's why I think this is such a great letter for the church today. Because they're not using the mind of Christ. He finishes chapter 2 with, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What, what is the mind of Christ then? What's the mind of Christ? I mean, when he talks about we have the mind of Christ, what does he mean? We have the Holy Spirit, therefore we have Christ, the wisdom of God, yes. But they didn't have the wisdom of God, definitely. I mean, they have the Holy Spirit. They are baby believers, but they're not living out in that, in that truth and that. So what is it? What was Christ's mind? Peace, yeah. What else? Focused on God, yeah. If you had to say one thing about Christ's relationship with God the Father, what would it be? Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Obedient. 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 You would say he was obedient or he was fully surrendered. That's the mind of Christ. A surrendered life. A surrendered, obedient life. And Paul will describe that in Philippians chapter 2, um, verse 5. He starts at verse 5 and he says, um, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you want the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, they're, they're synonymous really. The mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, they're almost synonymous. And what he's saying is, it is that, that is the prevailing attitude in your life. A, a, an attitude of total <coughs> surrender and obedience to God the Father. Philippians 2, verse 5 to verse 8. You see, we want the next bit. If you read verse 9, then it's <laughs> it, Paul will say, and because of that, God, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. We want the exaltation, but we don't want the surrender. That's the thing. And that's what 
Paul is, that's the essence of what he's writing to the Corinthian church. You want the exaltation. You want the kind of, you know, all the good stuff as you see it, but you don't want the surrender. And he says, I can see that because you're arguing all the time. You are not willing to surrender yourself to God. And that is shown in the fact that you are having division in the church. Now, I just want to say one thing. If you look at a church that has division in any way, you know there are Christians in there who are not surrendered to the Lord. They're not. Because if division is the first sign of um, lack of surrender to God... If you're surrendered to the Lord in your mind, in your attitude, in, it shows in your outward behavior with one another. If you're surrendered to the Lord, and, and so I, let's say Kim and I, we're in the same fellowship. She thinks one thing, I think the other thing. We just talk about it and we talk about it and then we start to get irritated because she won't change her mind and I won't change my mind and it starts to get like this. One of us, one of us at one stage is going to say, do you know what, Lord? I can't fix this, but you know what's right. Therefore, I am going to, shh. It doesn't matter that I'm right. It doesn't matter. It only matters that the person who I think isn't right is raised up, is blessed, is encouraged. So I'm going to keep quiet. That is a sign of surrender to the Lord. And you know, when you read through this Corinthians, that's not what's going on. It's not. So that's what he's talking about. This is... We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Therefore, everything is about our surrender to the will of God. Yeah, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. You know. But living a life of surrender takes a lot of work. <laughs> because you have, to, you have to battle your flesh all the time. Because your flesh does not want to surrender. Now imagine, imagine you're in a church in a fellowship, and you heard some talk of surrender when the church started, but it's gone on a couple of years now, and you've had some teachers in who've said, no, it doesn't matter about that, just name it and claim it. Get everything that God's given for you. You know, raise your hands, speak in tongues, do this, do that, you'll be on the right track then. You forget, you forget. Oh, and surrender now becomes something, I don't want to do that, I much prefer this. And so that's where Corinth was, that's where the Christians were in Corinth, that's where they are today. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul will go on to amplify this, um, this uh, kind of foundation, the foundation of the mind of Christ. He will uh, continue on with it. Now I actually think he starts this thinking in, in verse 14, so I'm going to read from verse 14 a little bit. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. I'm in chapter 2. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 14, because I think Paul's thinking about this starts there. Sorry, did I say chapter 3? It's good that you're all on your toes. Good. Chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, so it's like a continuation. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, now even you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now these are actually fairly straightforward statements um, and what Paul is talking about is he's trying to lead on now into the idea that it's all about God. God causes the growth. It doesn't matter who does what but God causes the growth. Now these things are obviously true of all believers but Paul is zeroing in on the teachers. He's zeroing in on the teachers who have come to Corinth and are teaching various things, some good, some bad. It's obvious that there are some in Corinth who are false teachers. He'll talk about them in this letter and in Second, in second Corinthians. But <coughs> basically, what he wants to tell them is, it is God who causes the growth. And I had so much to tell you, but I couldn't tell you because you couldn't take it. Because you're still behaving like unbelievers, actually. Go ahead, Julia. Um, Corinthians 3.15, in, in my version it said, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Mm. What does that mean? Does that mean if he doesn't bear fruit? No. I'll get, can I get to it, Julia? Yes. Remind me though if I don't, just, you know, but we will get to it. Um, Paul had taught them the basics of faith and he called it milk. So what are the basics that he's talking about? Just tell me what you think the basics of your faith are. Christ crucified. crucified. I.e., what does that mean? He died for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a saviour. Here he is. His name is Christ. That's the first. That's a basic. Right, what else? Resurrection. Yeah, that's a basic. That's what he's saying. That, you know, all these things he would have told them. Christ didn't just stay. He wasn't dead. He's not still dead. He's raised again. So that's a basic. That's a basic element of your faith. And, hmm? 
Baptism, maybe he would. That's like the outward external evidence of what's happened to you. In fact, in Romans 5, he'll talk about that baptism. Um, but he'll, he'll be talking in Romans 5 about what did happen to you, not water baptism. He'll say, you have been baptized with Christ, i.e. identified with him. You were on the cross with him. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. So he talks about that. They're basics. They're basics. The gospel. It's all the gospel. That is the basic elementary stuff. And he says, that's milk. And I gave you milk. And I tried to give you solid... I couldn't give you solid food because you couldn't take it. <coughs> so how are you going to get solid food then? What is the solid food? In the word. Yeah, in the word, yeah. The but what would be solid food? Well, understanding who God is. Exactly. Going on further, understanding more about who God is and who you are. And so how has Paul in his other letters, how has he told them to go on in that? Where's a, a, a we know these verses so well. I keep quoting them. They're just like the... Put on a new self. Yeah, put on the new self. But Romans 12, what does he say? How does he begin Romans 12? Offer your body. Yeah, offer your body a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then what's the result of renewing your mind? In Romans 1, uh, 12 verse 2. Yeah, you'll be able to discern God's will. You will be able to, to, work, to discern his perfect, pleasing will. So not only will you know his will, but it will be perfect to you and pleasing to you. So as you grow in maturity, what you find is all the stuff that you hated when you were first a believer, like you might have to stop doing this or start doing that, or, or you might have to surrender to the Lord, and all those things that were difficult for you become pleasing to you so and now ask yourself the question and look out at the wider church is it pleasing to you to understand you have to obey God and surrender to him does that please you and and not just in the generality of it but in the nitty-gritty specifics in your life does that please you does it seem perfect to you and will you keep on going on and going on and renewing your mind and surrendering your body as a living sacrifice because you want more and more and more and more of the fact that you must surrender? Yes, for example, uh, what, what, what nitty-gritty, what do you call it? Okay, well, nitty-gritty. Uh, you know, there are, areas of, um, uh, there are areas that we're more prone to sin more in than other, like I might have one particular area, you might have another and God puts his finger on it, and so I have to stop. I have to stop. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to stop those things. Or, for example, uh, you're, you're starting to hear that uh, it's more important that other people are built up than you are. <coughs> it's more important. Don't consider yourself more highly than you should, but rather consider other people as more important than you. So you hear that. Now, that hits at the very heart of of human selfishness because human selfishness is all about me and so now you're having to start to think okay so really what you're saying God is it, actually I've got to consider Jenny more important than me yeah I know Jenny that's easy <laughs> but you know let's pretend you were horrid I have to um, consider Jenny more important than me now that's not just the people I like that's the people I don't like I mean, it is hard. That's what I mean. It's like, so 
you know, and yeah, it's hard. And, and it's that, Maureen, I think. Mm. It's that. And it's that going on. Is that pleasing to me? Is it pleasing to me that God has pinpointed that part of me <laughs> and said, right, and now we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to try and change that a little bit. Is that pleasing to me? Because that will be radically different from my flesh. Is it pleasing to me to think, you know what? Um, well, we were talking about it a little bit on Saturday, that there are some mountains in my life that are maybe health-related or relationship-related or circumstances that God doesn't remove. <coughs> but as, like we were talking about last Yes, it is, it is. But, you know, the big phrase, dying to self, is quite easy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to die to myself. Yeah. It's when you have to actually do it. <laughs> That's when it's hard. So, um, Paul's saying here in, this, uh, in chapter 3, he's going to be talking about this idea of having the mind of Christ and how that manifests itself. And he's going to take it into himself and Apollos. He's using himself and Apollos as classic examples. And he's saying, I have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And I know I do because I fully understand that I am simply a messenger. It's not me who converted you. It's not me who has said anything wonderful. It's not me who has got you to change. It's only God. God causes the growth. And he has put himself as just, he calls himself two things in this chapter. He says, I'm a servant and I'm a steward. And he deliberately uh, reduces himself so that Christ is exalted. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He deliberately reduced himself so that God was exalted and glorified. That's, he wants to show them that um, that there's a way to do this, a way to consider yourself. Um, okay, so, uh, yeah, let's go on a little bit. So, um, how would you describe the teachers or the Corinthians and, and some of the teachers that they were getting? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, how would you uh, describe them? Or actually, go to chapter 4, because I think there's something... In, yeah, chapter 4. Somebody read verse 8 to verse 13. Um, chapter 4, verse 8 to verse 13. You are already filled if you have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong, you are distinguished, we are without honour. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, not poorly clothed, not roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. <coughs> when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as a scum of the world 
the dregs of all things, even until now. Thank you. So how would, I mean, Paul's just describing the Corinthian believers and some of their teachers. So how, how would you describe them? Because three and four, chapter three and chapter four sit together. I don't know, there could be just one chapter. So how is he describing those believers or teachers? No, not him, the others, the Corinthians. How does he begin with the Corinthians? He says, you are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. What's he trying to say about them? They're proud. They're arrogant. They... They want, the, the, as I say, the exaltation, but they don't want the humiliation. Now, what's he laying, uh, in contrast to those Corinthians, who's he using? Himself. himself and others like him who are traveling with him. And how does he describe them, himself? We're, we have become like the scum of the earth. We have become like the dregs. Now, think about it. He's talking about this is what it means to have the mind of Christ, that you will so surrender every, everything that you will be thought about, or you, it could be said of you that you were the scum of the earth or the dregs of the earth. Think about the church in the Western world. Think about the leaders of the church. With their private jets. Yes. <coughs> Not just even just that, but just, just generally, how do... How does the church portray itself yeah. in our hierarchical uh, church that we, we put leaders up and, we, and everybody's on the same ladder? It's, it's identical to the world. We are exalting people in the church and not exalting God. Mm. That's something I've heard. I was just writing it down. We belong to the family of God. Like of course, Spectral yeah. Children. Yes, exactly. Arguments. Yes. Imagine yeah. Why I is that though? Myself. Yes. Because sometimes I, I say something. And I've just been really considering. You, you speak something about somebody, and you have to stop. Thinking, why did you say mm. that? Mm. And, it, and I just—it it was, was when you were talking about the glory. Imagine being in the glory of God, and, and knowing that you've done that, mm. and that happens all over the church. All the time. Why does it? Why does it happen? What's the reason for that? Because you want to exalt yourself. Always. It's this exaltation of self. And the thing is, we all, we all have it. It's not one person or the other. Rosie's shared something. But we all have that. We all want to raise ourselves up, raise other people up. So now think about why they're exalting certain teachers. <coughs> Okay, you have a teacher who comes in, false or otherwise, and, and you, you just want to go along and follow them, and so much so that you're saying, I follow this one, I follow that one, I follow the other one. What is it underneath the following of that leader? What is the base of that? It is that I've decided who's a good teacher and who's not. I've decided I really like that teacher. I'm going to follow that teacher. Actually, you're not following a teacher. You are exalting yourself as you are exalting that teacher. Because what you're saying is, I've got enough wisdom to know who's right here and who's not. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I just, I just totally agree with this person. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow them. And it's still all about you. It's still all about you. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. 
growth, real growth and maturity only comes from God. I can water, he says, or I can plant, and Apollos can water, but it's only God who's going to cause the growth. And if you have anything in you that thinks it's about you, get rid of it. Because actually, that shows you to be a baby. (laughs) And no one wants to stay a baby all their lives. Um, Yeah, as I say, they wanted these Corinthians, they wanted this exaltation instead of the humiliation. Paul, as I said, we've already read in Philippians 2, he talks about uh, Christ and how he didn't want that. He was the opposite of that. So think I, I, I don't want to leave it too quickly, because, but I don't want to go on too long. So the thing is, we have a big uh, authority mindset in the church. We have an authority mindset in the world. And we, we think that leaders are in authority over us. It is. Leadership in Scripture of any description, if it's true, if it's God, is always servant leadership. It is never authoritarian, ever. You look at Peter, you look at Paul, you look at Timothy, you look at James, you look at all of the apostles, you look at Jesus, Jesus who is the example. He led people like a servant. He was a servant. How do you know that? How do you know that's true? He came to serve you. But show me how, in, in the context of church, how did Christ portray servant leadership? He washed their feet. He washed their feet. This is not, yes, he died for the world and he laid down his life for everybody. But Eve, just in the confines of a little glimpse of what it would be like to be in church, because this is what he's setting them up for. He's setting them up teaching them how to be when they're going out to start the church. And what he does is, in chapter 13 of John, he washes their feet and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be last. Anyone who wants to be great must become the least. God's economy is completely different to man's. So if we are in a church that is promoting (coughs) authoritarian leadership, you can know those people do not know Christ or they are not following Christ because his leadership was totally servant-hearted. It's such a big thing. It's such a big thing because it creeps into every area of our life and we accept it because that's what the world does. And we are used to the world. And so we start on this ladder, this ladder of trying to get up this imaginary ladder that doesn't exist. And actually, if you're on the bottom rung, you're where you should be. Do you see what I mean? It's just completely the opposite. And that he's looking at this Corinthian church and he's saying, I know your babies. Do you know how I know your babies? Because you're all clamoring to be right. You're all arguing and divisive and and lifting up this man and that man and not even understanding that in the lifting up of that man, you're lifting up yourself. So 
Um, he's going to talk to them about their focus on people, and uh, he's going to talk to the ministers themselves. Chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this, in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one, stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I might be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even have examined myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but, but the one who examines me is the Lord. He's going to talk in this chapter a little bit about the fact it, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. <laughs> it only matters what God thinks about you. It only matters what God thinks about you. It's, and and he, that's what he says. Paul will spend most of his human life battling against people who refuse to uh, understand what he's talking about, either non-believers or believers. He's, he, he's going to fight the good fight and run the race all his life. He's going to be poured out, he says in Philippians, like a drink offering on the service and sacrifice of your faith. He is going to allow himself to be made nothing so that Christ can be exalted. Um, okay, so uh, let's just think then. He's saying about... I think we've covered the fact that it's God who um, causes the seed to grow, therefore God should get the uh, credit. Um, how did they work together as, servant, as servants? They all, uh, they didn't compete against each other, they were all helping each other. You know, many people talk about desiring truth and they say w that we should be a church or why can't you start a church, why can't you do this? We are church. We are church. Whenever Christians are together, there you have church. If you sit and have a cup of coffee with another believer, you are doing church. That's church. It doesn't matter which building you go into. It doesn't. But so that we, people understand and know that we are not competing with anybody, any other church. What I say is, we met with a pastor yesterday afternoon. What I say is, this ministry is designed to build up the body of Christ so that wherever individually you fellowship, you start to be an encouragement in that fellowship rather than a discouragement. Where you start to be able to you know, talk about the Lord in a way that's meaningful and, in, and helpful and will build up other believers. Where you take back the word of God and say, I saw this and look at that, it was so fantastic and God really spoke to me. So that someone else will say, I want to know what you know. That's what it's about. Rosie shared with me yesterday something she saw about, I've been watching the Billy Graham things because, you know, I just, I could cry when I think about that man and all that he did in his life for the Lord and how humble he was, how humble he was. But she shared with me this thing where he'd gone, when he was only young, it was I think in 1946, and he was in Wales and he went and he heard a person preach and he knew, I don't have what you have. And so he went to this man and he said, I want what you have and I don't have it. I want, I want, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And he went, I don't even know why I'm saying this. Oh, yeah, 
I don't know, but anyway, he went there and he, and he spent two days with this man praying and understanding the scriptures with him and, um, and, and eventually just go, going on his knees before God and saying, I, I can't go on if you don't fill me with the Spirit. I can't, I can't do anything unless you fill me with the Spirit. You know, now I'm not talking about any weird baptism. You can believe what you like about baptisms of the Spirit. I don't care what you believe about that. I just care that you want to be filled with the Spirit. Because if you are filled with the Spirit, oh my <coughs> goodness, God will pour out of you like a river of living water. He will just pour out of you. And you will find yourself decreasing and Him increasing. And that will be marvelous in your eyes. It will be marvelous. You won't be able to contain the joy. And that's why Billy Graham had the ministry he had. That's why he did. Because he wanted God before anything else. Fill me with you. Get rid of me. I don't mean you get rid of you because he changes you and transforms you. But just take away all my pride and my arrogance and everything else. Just get rid of all of that so it can all be about you. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need people like that yeah. in the church. There was a called Billy Christmas. Oh. who was uh, a big influence on Billy Graham yeah. in his early days. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a lot, I think God brought a lot of people into his life, Alan, don't you, that you know really helped him to understand. Because I think he was a good speaker anyway, and he knew his Bible, but he just knew, he, he got to that stage where he knew, without God, I can't do this. And that's where these Corinthians are not. They're thinking they can do it all in their own strength and they can yeah. follow this one or that one. And, and what Paul's trying to tell them is, only God can do this. Yeah. Only God can do this. And the more you mature, the more you understand, only God can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Only God can do this. And I think in that story, just to take it back, Billy Graham actually was preaching in Wales, wasn't he? And he preached yes, sermons, yes. And the, and the guy said, you know, preached like a Welshman <laughs> and he made the call and, and does nothing. That's right, yeah. And then he went and preached after these two days and the aisles couldn't contain the people. Mm. That was the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we stop, we'll stop in about five minutes. How does Paul then, in, as he builds on this in chapter three, he'll talk about the church as a couple of things. He'll use examples. How does he describe the church? God's field and God's building, yeah. And um, uh, we understand about the field. One person plants the seed, one pe person waters, but God brings the harvest. Uh, what do you think he means about the house of God, the temple of God? Who's he? I mean, what is the temple of God? We are the temple of God, yeah. But is he talking about individual believers in this, do you think, or not? Corporately, he's talking. He's, you know, yes, we are the temple of God, and in uh, he will talk about our bodies being temples in Second Corinthians. So it's not that he's denying that, but what he's trying to talk to them is that collectively they are. This is a collective letter. This is a letter written to fellowships, churches, and because they're not, they're not uni un unified. They're not living in unity, and so he's he's trying to get them to understand a who they are individually, so that in corporately that will have effect in their churches, in their fellowship groups. And so um, he's going to talk about this building and, um, uh, and how is he going to develop that sort of idea? 
How does he start to talk? Yeah, he says there's a foundation. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's in chapter 3. I'm sorry, I'm going backwards and forwards in 3 and 4 because they're all about the same subject. Chapter 3... Verse uh, 10 through 14, he talk, or 15, he talks about this uh, building up of the church, of the, of the temple. And um, he says he'd laid the foundation with the cross. Apollos had been there and watered. And apparently also Peter had been there too, uh, because some of them were following Cephas, which <laughs> means Peter. Um, but as he's writing, someone else is there, it seems. And it may be that someone else is preaching a different gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, he's going to talk about uh, the person that was there and preaching a different gospel. So how does Paul, in verse 12 to 17 of chapter 3, how does he describe the three types of builders of the, of the house of God? He uses three different types of builders. No, the people themselves. How does he describe them? Yeah. Uh, First of all, there's an expert builder, verse 14. Um, uh, Sorry, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder or a master builder, I laid a foundation. So there's a wise master builder. And then in verse 15, another builder. But if he, if any man's work is is burned up, he will suffer loss. So there's also an unwise builder, right? An unwise builder. And then in verse 17, so there's three different types of builders, he says. There's one who's a wise master builder. There's one who's unwise because his work's going to get burned up. And then there's a destructive, a destructive builder. A destructive person. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. So he's describing three types of people who come to the church and who attempt to build it up. The first is a wise master builder who understands the foundation is Christ, who is trying to exhort and and encourage the body of Christ. Then there is the unwise builder who's going to end up with all his work being burnt up. But he's not deliberately trying to deceive. He is simply an unwise builder. He doesn't know what he's doing. And maybe he's taking it on himself to do something he shouldn't. And then there is the destructive builder who is going to be destroyed. Because God will not have uh, false teachers um, deliberately coming in to deceive the church. At some stage, they will be destroyed. Uh, we're going to leave it there, and then we'll come back, and we'll answer <laughs> Kay, uh, Juliet's question. Okay. So, Father, thank you that... Um, thank you, Lord, for understanding and, and for wisdom, and thank you, Lord, that you are taking us on. We do. We each have our own things, Father, but, but we do want to go on further with you because we know that you are a good God and that you only do wondrous things and, and, and we want to be a part of that. So I pray, Father, for our understanding now as we go on, that we would really understand these two chapters in 1 Corinthians. We would see how they apply to us and how they apply to the church that we inhabit at the moment, the temple that we are in corporately. And Lord, how we can make a difference in that temple so that we can really raise up the name of Jesus. And... Um, 
and just do our part in the kingdom of God, the, the place that you prepared for us, the work that you created in advance for us to walk in. Help us to understand, Lord God, and, and to choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we said that there were three types of builders, the expert or the wise master builder, the unwise builder, because his work is all going to get burned up, so you know he didn't use much wisdom, and the destructive, which is... Um, uh, yeah, which is the uh, one who's deliberately destroying. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Well, we're going to look at that. Actually, that point now, Jenny, there are four it's different ways. Name, yeah, there are four different um, ways. I think that you could probably interpret this. There may be more, but this is what I um, have so far. So the first one is what Jenny is saying. The gold, the silver, the costly stones refer to the enduring quality of the builder's work. So, um, you know, that if you build with gold or silver or <coughs> precious stones, you're using the things God wants you to use. You are really building something that's going to last through eternity. Um, remember, this is building the church. This is building up the church. And he's, I think he is primarily talking to teachers the teachers that were around then, uh, the, the people who were traveling from place to place and teaching doctrine, they were teaching what, whatever they thought was doctrine. And on that, you know, the church was being built. Uh, or sorry, on the foundation, they were adding this uh, different thing. So the first interpretation, I think, is that gold, silver, and precious jewels refer to the, you know, the eternal, enduring quality of the work, the building. The second, so there, therefore wood, hay and straw will be um, temporary and not much value to it. It must have been quite hard for the teachers in those times. Oh, yeah. They didn't have all letters, did they? Mm. I mean, you may have had a few of them. Mm. I think he's actually, yeah, I don't think he's talking about teachers as we know teachers today because actually what Paul was doing was, was writing direct revelation from God. So he was right. He was hearing from God and writing what we know as the Bible. No man does that now. No person. So I'm sh I'm a teacher, but I'm only sharing what God has already revealed to Paul or to Peter or to James or whatever. So in the way that they're teaching, I I could never do that. I think he's yeah. I think he's talking about those people who were travelling around and claiming to be apostles because he talks about false apostles. Yeah false apostles who are going around claiming to have revelation from God, teaching, he's, he will talk about teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. You know, when he talks about, um, he writes to Timothy, and he says, don't have, any, <coughs> don't have anything to do with these people because they're teaching as doctrine, as, as, as God's truth, the precepts of men, the, mm. the traditions and the ideas of men. But that, that really now, what we're, what we're into now, there are no apostles, capital A. If someone calls himself an apostle, a capital A, you just know right away, you can't be an apostle. I mean, don't go up to him necessarily, but he can't be an apostle. Not in the way these were apostles. He can be a missionary, which is what the word means, one sent with a message. But he can't be an apostle, capital A, because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You can't keep building a foundation. The church is built on that. How long after Christ's death was this taking place? 
I think maybe, well, Paul was roughly the same age as Christ, I think. So he's writing maybe 20 years after Christ. This, the, church, the, this, the Bible is not yet complete when yeah. he's writing. So he's writing and he's putting the revelation of God into um, so the church. Paul goes to Corinth, who's teaching them? Nobody. Okay. No, he goes there with the gospel. He oh, starts the church. Nice. He's the first one who goes there. And actually, Paul's whole thing was, I want to go and preach the gospel where no one's been before. So he didn't want to necessarily go and build on another man's work. He wanted to take the gospel to those people who had never heard it, to the Gentiles. Um, So, Apollos then follows. I don't know how Apollos is, but he's obviously younger than Paul. And he follows. He has become a believer uh, when he gets to Corinth. Acts chapter 18, I think, is uh, Priscilla and Aquila, have to, who are already believers, they have to take him aside and teach yeah. him the way of God more clearly, more accurately, because he obviously has a shortened understanding or a, s- a narrow understanding of what, what he should be teaching. So they teach him more about the faith, but they've heard that from Paul. So Apollos is building because he's going out and he's taking the gospel and he is a teacher of the word, but he had to be instructed by a woman and her husband. So he's not the same as Paul. But I think he's talking about, in that time, I think nowadays, you know, what I'm doing is sharing the word of God. Yes, I'm explaining it. Yes, hopefully I'm kind of opening up some things, but I'm in no way like these people were. I'm not. Well, I'm a teacher, but I'm not this like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You better ask yourself, Kim. You're making us nice cakes. Uh, no, not particularly. I because I'm teaching the church. Most people who come here are believers. I mean, yes, I. No, I'm not an evangelist, no. As a, as, a, as a gifting, I don't think that's a strong gift of mine. I think I can do it. Teach, I think teaching, so, teaching, yeah. Mm. Teaching. And um, hopefully one or two others, you know. I'd like to have the whole realm of gifts, but probably not, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, you can see evangelists. Evangelists are the ministry of an evangelist, at least. Billy Graham, Maureen, Chris, I think, is an evangelist. You know, it's people who really can't, they can't keep it in. (laughs) They're just like always talking about the Lord. And I think that's, you know. But that doesn't mean we're not all doing it. We are all doing it. Kate, sorry, she's sitting at the back. I would normally have pointed her out. But Kate, um, I think she has that gift of evangelism. It's because it's not really, she doesn't have to think about it. It just happens. And... um, but all I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to do is diminish teachers today. <laughs> I want to just diminish us because we've, we're just building them up all the time. You know, there's people with big ministries and they're obviously, I'm not saying they don't have good knowledge and they are wise, but they're in no way like Paul or Peter or no. they're just not. And they're not coming, if they come up with new doctrine, totally new, you know it's not right. If they come with anything that is new, you can just put it in the bin because it will not be of God, because this is the complete revelation of God. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that that's it. So, But what Paul's talking about here, just to come back to this, is what Paul's talking about, he's talking about 
individual believers, we're all in, in our way. We're all building up the body of Christ. We're building ourselves up and we're helping one another to be built up. But he's talking specifically here about those teachers that were going around at that time and they were trying to build on the foundation that he had laid of Christ Jesus and that now they're trying to bring their own teaching in. And I think he's warning the Corinthians and warning those teachers that there's an accounting for what you say. Now, I can take this too because I know that if I teach anything that's out of my own head, it's going to get burned up because it's valueless. But primarily here, he's talking to those teachers who were wandering around and there was a lot of um, false teaching going around deliberate or, un or accidental. So the first one is that these gold, silver, uh, precious stones is the doctrine, is the um, uh, material, the, it, the value of the material. So eternal value. The second interpretation I think you could say is that the expensive materials are the sound doctrine, i.e. doctrine that has been received either directly from God, so through Peter or Paul or James or some of those or is doctrine like Priscilla and Aquila were teaching sound doctrine because they had got theirs from Paul um, so there's that or there is wrong doctrine false doctrine so I think the wood hay and, and stubble could be false doctrine and the gold silver and precious stones could be sound doctrine how would you tell the difference now the results, exactly. The result of false doctrine is valueless. In, in Galatians, Paul will talk about that very thing. He'll say, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, why do you think you're going to carry on in the flesh? So they were going, some teachers saying, yes, you were saved by faith, by grace, but you've got to keep working at it or you're going to lose it. That he's calling false doctrine. And he... and. Uh, and that I think he's referring to wood, hay and stubble. It will get burnt up at the end. Um, so would that be something like the Toronto blessing when everyone went rushing off? It Does could be. Any eternal value to that? Well, I don't think so, but I, you know, I don't think so. They might be individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's that then? No, don't. You don't want to go there, Kim. We'll chain you to the chair before we let you go. So, um, so you've got the like the eternal value of a thing, and you assess that in gold, silver, or or no value. You've got the doctrine: is it sound doctrine or is it false doctrine? I think that's two things. You've also got motives, motives that you could look at and say, what's the motive of the person who is coming in and teaching this? Is their motive good? Is it is it to build up? Is it to encourage? Is it really to glorify God? Then. He's using gold, silver, and stubble. I hang on to this interpretation a lot because you could be wrong in your teaching, but your motive is to encourage. So I dare say I say some things that are not correct. I'm sure I do. It, otherwise, it would mean I've got everything right. <laughs> and I'm not God, so I don't. I'm sure there are some things that later on, you know, after... Maybe I taught 10 years ago that in 10 years' time I'll look at it and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm so sorry I said that because I don't think that's right now. But you know in your spirit, don't you, as 
well. You do, but what I'm saying is we, we're, we're all a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning all the time. Yeah. I'm looking at things now in a different way than I did 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that all we are assessed and judged by the motives of our heart. What's your motive? My motive is to try to understand it and then to share it. Yeah. And, and that's good. And I think that's what God will call gold, silver and uh, uh, whatever, costly stones. So the other... Opposite to that, the wood, hay and stubble in that interpretation would be wrong motives. Mm -hmm. What's my motive? Is my motive to build myself up? Mm -hmm. For you all to think, oh, she's a good teacher, I'm going to go and listen to her. If that's the motive, then God's calling that wood, hay and stubble, even if you happen to say something right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm not assessed on what I actually, the even the right or wrong. I'm assessed on what is this all about? Is this about you or is it about God? And the fourth one, uh, which I think it could be, is um, gold, silver, precious stones actually constitute the believers. You're, you're building up the believers. And the wood, hay and stubble is unregenerate people, i.e. unbelievers in the church. Yeah, um, mm. yeah uh, you know, that's a kind of a distant fourth to me. I think one of the first three things could be right. Could you, you just say that again? I didn't yeah, it's like. Um, um, Did you say you're trying to build up unbelievers? Well, no, it's like the gold, silver, and the precious stones represent the true believers in the church, yeah. and the wood, hay, and stubble represent the non believers oh. in the church. And so they will get burned up, as it were, uh, because they're not believers, but the true believers will come through because they're so gold. There's two interpretations of this. One could be the actual uh, teaching uh, yeah. foundation, and the other is. The, the calibre of the yeah, exactly. in terms of where they are with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, how will God judge on the Day of Judgment then? Or how will, uh, how will Christ judge? We're all going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, every believer. And so what's he going to judge? Each of the knowledge of Yeah. Mm. No, I don't necessarily. I think that you know. I think that he is responsible for the fruit. You are responsible simply to surrender to his work. So I think that that's one thing. But I think that Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, we each stand before the beam at, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, but here in First Corinthians, he talks about God judging the quality of a man's work. Thank you. Where is that verse? Uh, thank you. I couldn't find it straight away. Each man's work will become evident for the day, that's the day that we each stand before Christ, will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So let's just say you, um, you become a believer. You live your whole life in the midst of unbelieving people. You don't seem to have any any opportunity to give them gospel and when you do they don't want it and so but there's one little guy who lives you know I don't know on the other side of your island and you happen to meet him one day and you say something to him and he believes he he receives this gospel and then you invest a bit of time in him because you want him to understand more about this God and the greatness of God the quality of that work the quality of what you do is the most important thing it's not the number of people it's not how 
high and wonderful they look. It is simply the quality of your work. Mm. What's your motive behind it? What's your uh, desire? You know, all of that. It's the quality of your work that will be tested by fire or judged, whichever. Now, that remember, this is not your salvation. Your salvation is set. And even here, with these teachers, he says that the man will come through it himself, but his work will be burned up or come through the fire. Mm. So this is not about salvation. This is about the quality of your service, really. Your service. Um, see, you know... You Exactly. Mm. 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 It's your motivation, but it's also you could be you could have a really good motive, and you could never read your Bible. So you could have a really good motive <coughs> to live for Christ. You could say, "I want to go and live for Christ. I want to surrender to Him." But you'll never have much quality because you're not really actually reading what He says. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you know, as soon as someone tells you that's where it is. Now you've got to choose, haven't you? Will I go there or not? It's, it's material as well as material. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Um, so, the, the let's take the wise master builder then. When they come, stand before the judgment seat of Christ and their work is uh, looked at, what's going to happen to that wise master builder? He's going to come through... His, his work will come through, he will come through, of course he will come through, all believers will come through, but his work will come through, and he'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Mm -hmm. What about the unwise builder? His work will almost certainly be build, burned up, Why? Because it won't last. It's, he's, he's been teaching stuff that isn't right. And he hasn't bothered to find out anything about it. You know, he's followed on somebody else's teaching maybe. And he's not ever thought to look for himself and see what he thinks. And he's not come before God and said, look, God, I, I don't, I don't want to be wrong here. I, want to be, I only want to say what you want me to say. And so he's not wise. He's not wise. But he's saved. He's saved. Don't make any mistake. He is saved. So some of his work might get burned up. There might be a bit of gold in there somewhere and that won't get burned up. So all that we're talking about is the result of your walk, if you like, the result of your life with God. And it's only the quality. It's the quality, the motives. It's, yeah, it hasn't got anything to do with the amount. It's not quantity. It's quality. I think so, I think so. But also, I th that's so much more, isn't it? That's like deciding peace is more important to me than a new car. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's really making those decisions that something I can't see and touch and feel is more important to me than something I can. You know, that's, that's the laying up the treasures in heaven. Now, what about the, um, what was the other builder? What, uh, master builder? The destructive builder. Okay, what about him? What's going to happen to him? Yeah, he's going to be destroyed. He's going to be destroyed. Now, I think you've got two different opinions even in there. You could say it's possible to be a destructive builder but still to be a believer. You could be destroying the temple by teaching 
doctrine that is so far from the truth that it's actually having a really detrimental effect on the church. I would say, oh, I could name people, but I won't, but I would say a lot of the Toronto stuff, not necessarily that place, but comes into that. You could be destroying the reputation of Christ and his house. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. I, I don't quite know exactly what that would look like, but yes, I think so, something like that, Julia. Yeah. That is so destructive, because people get so disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly, that's it, exactly. And, you know, I will say Todd Bentley, because... You know, he's a long way away. <laughs> Todd Bentley, who did the, who was in Lakeland, Florida, and he was a big thing a few years ago, and he was on TV, and whole church loads of people went to Florida, and um, I saw him on stage. I watched him on God TV because I wanted to, people were asking me about him, and I thought well, I better see what he does. And I saw him on stage, and he kicked people in the stomach, and he, and he, he, he just claimed healing, pushed them over. Yeah, I mean, weird. You looked at it, and you just knew who could be watching this and thinking it's from God. And then, um, but then they come back with the, well, Smith Wigglesworth did that. And, and I want to say, well, Smith Wigglesworth was wrong. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in scripture does God say kick him in the stomach. Go ahead. Um, in a more sort of everyday, <coughs> um, more common setting, um, I'm going to tread carefully here. One might see uh, people who are, um, you know, priests in a church who are not allowing the word to yeah. be uh, properly yeah. filtered through to people, and they're holding it back. Yeah. And um, sort of dipping around the plate of the gospel instead yeah. of letting people get into yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that is destructive. Definitely, yeah, definitely. It is, Kate. stand aside very. and somebody come in who's prepared to let the people experience mm. a real faith with God, with God yeah, yeah. rather than... A, a church, a, a church experience. Yeah, that is destructive. Yeah, I think definitely. It's so horrifically widespread. Yeah. It worries me. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it yeah. is very. Mm. On your second interpretation, that mm. you think a believer could destroy the church, how do we then bring in the second part? Okay, okay. So I think, yeah, it, I mean, I would like to say that all the destructive builders are not saved. Let's chuck them all out. They're all going to hell, right? And that would be simple. Yeah, it would be. But what I think is really difficult is that, you know, there's a lot of deception out there and we all of us are open to be deceived. Yeah. That's why God says stay in the word, stay in the word, keep doing what we're doing. You know, we can all be deceived. Mm -hmm. So I think, for example, Todd Bentley, I wouldn't like to say he's, he's a believer or he's not. Mm. I can't judge his heart. I don't know if he's saved. Yeah. But I can say that everything he's doing is wrong. And he was saying that you could. he was raising people from the dead. He was lying. And there's no evidence of him raising people from the dead. So I find that very destructive. But does that come from someone who's just a baby Christian who wants all the glory from himself and, and gets caught up in it and then gets tempted? He left his wife for another woman, etc. So is it just that? Is it just a fleshly Christian? Because you can't read 1 Corinthians. He's talking to people he's calling believers. And he's saying, you're doing these things. It's even reported that a man has his, hus his father's wife. So we're talking about real stuff here that he's saying, and they're still, he's calling them believers. So all I'm saying is, I think it is possible to, to be destructive in the church, yet still be 
saved a believer. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, God will destroy him. Now, does he mean um, destroy him so he can't destroy the temple? Does he mean take him out of the way? I don't know. I just want to be really careful that we don't sit in judgment on people. No, again, he's not talking about salvation (coughs) here at all. He's not. Yes, but he does say destroy him. If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. So, but I want to be careful, just careful, you know. In me, I think probably he's talking about non-believers, but he's talking about people coming into the church, remember, and teaching on the foundation of Christ. That's who he's mostly talking about, builders coming in at that time into the church. And you had a lot of heresy going on. You had all the Gnostic heresy, all the Judaism coming in, all the antinomianism, you know, you can live any way you like. It doesn't matter. You had a lot of heresy coming into the church. So, so it's all right to leave that as we just don't actually necessarily know. It's all right to say. I'm not quite sure what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Praise yeah. God. Yeah. Go ahead, Alan. It says in the word... Mm. Yeah, stay where they are, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Um, I don't think it matters, really. I don't think it matters. I just think it matters that we each come before God with this and say, okay, you know, it's maybe you're not all teachers, maybe some of you are, but so it's primarily to those teachers at that time. I think by extension, it's to teachers today. And then even further, it's for us. What are you building in your life? What are you building? Are you building using gold, silver and precious stones? Are you checking <coughs> your motives? Are you, are you using the gold from this word? Are you asking the Lord? Yeah. 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 Are deceived because they've studied the word. Yeah. They've been to Bible college, even. Yeah. And yeah. it caused them to doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And they think they know better. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and then they're teaching something which is wrong. It's error, yeah. causing other people exactly. to doubt the word. Yeah, and that's yeah. What I find yeah. Wonderful. So that's what I mean, Jenny. Actually, yeah. you're just talking about someone, I would say, who is destroying the temple, the church. But that person who went to a seminary or a Bible school actually was deceived, he says. They're deceived. What does he say? Let no man deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish. So they've been deceived into thinking they're wise, either by themselves or by someone else. They've been taught error, and they're passing error on. But does that mean that person's not saved? I'm not sure. I don't know what that means, but I do know that that salvation is forever. There's nothing you can do. Once you are saved, there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Nothing. Because if you truly are saved, you were saved before the foundation of the world. And God knew every day of your life before it came to be. And you'll be dead before... Well, there's no before and after. Do you know what I mean? There's no sin in your life that he doesn't know. He he knows tomorrow's sin. You don't know it yet, but he does. So this false false teaching often when things that are wrong are passed on, they're embroidered and embellished, so they get magnified. It's like gossip, isn't it? Gossip is always embroidered and embellished, and then it gets passed on. Yes. 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 
So, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. No one put their confidence in men, for all things belong to you. This is where he's going to end, really. This, well, not end because he's going to go into servants and stewards, but this is everything already belongs to you. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, For Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you need. Christ has already become that for you. So don't be deceived. Don't boast in men. Don't boast in teachers. Don't boast in other people. Just, he's going to say, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. It's, there's nothing. You don't put your confidence in Christ. In Christ. Put your confidence, boast about Jesus. Don't boast about yourself. Don't boast about other people. Boast about Jesus. <coughs> you know, boast about the fact that um, God does it all. Um, and he goes on in chapter 4, which we've kind of dipped in and out of, to say um, uh, that, you know, I, I'm a steward, I'm ser a servant. I don't even, I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not acquitted by this. Um, it doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter even what I think of me. It only matters what God thinks of me or Christ thinks of me, actually. And he talks about, look, verse 5 of chapter 4. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. What's the time he's talking about? The judgment seat of Christ, either, either when Christ returns or when you go to be with him. Don't go on passing judgment, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Oh, definitely. But I think you can, you can pass judgment on their on their li their works, we're supposed to be discerning, not but not on their salvation. Project. And that's yeah. where we go, I think. That's where we go all yeah, the time. Oh, well, he can't be saved because he's doing this. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so tempting because you want to say to them, I want to say to my husband, because he caught sight of Todd Bentley on the TV, and he just laughed when I said people were going to see him. He just laughed. And, he, and actually, the church going to see Todd Bentley disrespected Christ. Yeah. No, it isn't funny. He didn't laugh in a kind of... He just thought it was so stupid that people could actually believe that that was Christianity. And so he, Christ was defamed. No, exactly. So um, why don't I saying that? Yes, but I, and I, so I would love to say, well, he's not saved. He can't be a Christian. Exactly, because there's so much deception out there. And we are none of us immune to it. We all of us can be deceived. And so we have to surround ourselves with people who will hold us accountable. 
and we have to surround ourselves with people who will tell the truth to us and and who will say to us you know let's get in the word see what the word says about that because you know I'm, I'm not really bothered about what they well I am bothered what they do with their lives but I'm, I want to make sure that my life is being lived the way it's supposed to be lived um, uh, and then he is going to go on in chapter four. And we've already read it about they're they're so arrogant. They're saying they're kings. They're, they're, they're you know that they have everything they need. And and he's trying to get them. To say, Can't you see? You're fools. Actually, you're fools to think this. That you've already become kings. That you're already this or you're already what did you have that you did not receive? Verse seven. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you have was given to you. Even the wisdom to understand was given to you. Um, and then he goes on to describe himself. And then verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And then he's going to go on um, about the immorality. Chapter 4, um, towards so the end. Um, how can a minister or a teacher or someone who was traveling around then, how can they evaluate their ministry and their teaching? According to Paul, by the quality and how much it aligned itself with what the doctrine that had already been revealed. When he's talking about doctrine already revealed, what's he talking about? Yeah, Jesus. But where would they get their doctrine? Where would they get, you know, where would the, the written word for them was what? The Old Testament. It was the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah, the Torah. Yeah. So it was the first five books plus the prophets plus the Psalms. That's where they got their doctrine. And Paul preached the gospel most of the time out of the Old Testament. Of course, he, when he went to the Gentiles, he used whatever was there to talk to them. But the gospel originally was preached using Old Testament scripture. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he quoted from Joel. He quoted from various other Old Testament prophets. That. Joel and yeah maybe from Isaiah I can't remember exactly but definitely and they all preach when they took the gospel around that's what they were preaching from because they were preaching to Jews out of their Old Testament that Christ had been foretold and that the Christ had come <coughs> when he went to the Gentiles you know because Acts tells us that uh, when he went to Athens he he stood on Mars Hill and he pointed to all the uh, uh, gods that they had standing there, statues, and saying, you have a statue to an unknown God, and it's that God that I've come to tell you about. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, he used what was in front of him because Paul was actually writing the scriptures. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Can you imagine being Paul? Mm -hmm. He was actually writing down what we now 
use for our lives. But he himself only had the revelation of Christ as he was given it, that to him and the Old Testament. And so he's, he's talking here, you know, be constantly looking at what you're saying and what you're passing on because you have a responsibility to know what you're talking about. Um, but he's talking about some of the New Testament. Some of it, I think he is, because he's just written some of it. Yes, yes. And then where the Old Testament pointed to. Exactly, yeah. He's basically saying, Isaiah 53 said, this, this Christ would come as a suffering servant, and here he is. Um, Hmm? Who? Oh, um, no, not yet. Not yet. John ha- wasn't written till about AD 90. So John, no, he, he, they haven't got the Gospels yet. Uh, Matthew, I can't remember which was the first one. Mark was the first one uh, to be written. I'm not sure when that was. Maybe, I'm uh, not late, so 10 years after. Um, I'm not sure. That mostly that would have stayed within Israel at that time. It wasn't until AD 70, which is 40 years after the death of Christ, that, that they were dispersed because of the destruction of Jerusalem. So yes, you had Paul going out, and you had Silas and Barnabas and those. They were going out to the Gentiles because Paul was specifically called to the Gentiles. But mostly the Jewish believers kept it within Israel. That I think... You know, that part of the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem is also <laughs> to spread them out because they wouldn't go otherwise. And yes, exactly, exactly. Spread the, the Jewish believers, when they came to Christ, you know, let's say 3,000 of them on the day of Pentecost, um, they knew that their, their kind of commission was to go and spread the gospel oh, to all the ends of the earth oh, but of course they didn't want to go <laughs> they wanted to stay within of course that's what we do we want to stay at home you know it's, I know I know home yeah so it but it meant that they had to go so Priscilla and Aquila had been moved from uh, somewhere to Corinth because of the, the persecution of Christians and and God always did that to spread the gospel Amazing, really. Just amazing. We've got an amazing God. Amazing God. So, who are they to boast about? Christ. Christ. When they think about themselves and uh, who they are in Christ, what's the primary verse we've read so far up to chapter 4? Well, there's probably lots, but my primary verse is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Jesus Christ became to us wisdom from God and sanctification and righteousness and redemption. Not in that order, but anyway, it, uh, that's what he says. First Corinthians chapter 1. Um, but by his doing, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, let him who has confidence, have confidence in the Lord. You could use, uh, we have the mind of Christ, but uh, for me, that's the verse for for me. I'm going to hold that verse. That I have become wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Or I am, he has become and I am in him. So, can you see yourself in Paul's description of the builders? Which builder are you? I mean, you may not be an official builder, but <laughs> what builder are you? Are you going to be a wise master builder? Yes. 
How will you become a wise? How long do you think it takes to become a wise master builder? It takes a long time. You know, any craftsman has to do an apprenticeship for a very long time. Yeah, you can. You can. That's where we all start. We just all start carrying the bricks or mis mixing the cement. And then, you know, God takes us on. So, you want to be a wise master builder. How's the way? What's the way you're going to do that? Yes, you're going to read the word and yes, 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 you do. What's the tools then? Very good, Alan. Thank you. Yes. You've reminded me. <laughs> yeah, you need a trowel and a level. Where are you going to get those from? Yeah, from the Word and from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to, yeah, so that you're going to develop your um, relationship with listening to God as he speaks to you by his Spirit. So I had two things, you know, really. Um, are you picking up your cross daily? You see, he says we have the mind of Christ and that's the, atti the attitude of Christ. Same thing. We have the attitude of Christ. Well, do we really? Do you really? I think Paul's talking about himself and those people he travelled with. We have the mind of Christ because he's comparing us himself and them with the Corinthians who didn't have the attitude of Christ or the mind of Christ. So which side of that fence are you on? Sometimes the wrong side. Yeah. So it's, it's, you have to read the word and be in the word, but the reality is if you don't submit yourself, surrender yourself to God, if you don't pick up your cross daily and follow him, you will not be a wise master builder. Wisdom comes in surrender. It comes in surrender. And, you know, there is no other way. And as you surrender, you start to realize, wow, this is a great way. <laughs> this is a great way. So, any questions? I know, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just wonderful, <laughs> so wonderful. So, Father, I'm going to pray so that we can um, continue talking after and some of us need to go quicker than others. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are training us up, that we are uh, being trained to be able to do our part in the building up of the body of Christ, Lord God, that we can encourage one another. We can come alongside baby believers and make sure that we help them to find the path that you've mapped out for them to walk. Lord God, thank you that you are giving us this wisdom, that we've been asking for wisdom, as James says. We want wisdom and that you are not partial. You have no favourites. You give wisdom to everyone who asks for it. So, Lord God, I pray, I pray that you'll continue on with us, causing us to come to you and ask you for what we need, which is everything, Lord God, and then showing us what it means, actually, to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Help us to understand that, Lord, and to embrace it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. <laughs>